All right. Hey, I'm here, and usually when people quiet down, that means that's my turn to start talking a little bit here. So good to see you. Hope you're doing well. A blessed second Sunday in Advent to you all. My kiddos are reminding me that tomorrow is not just December 6th. It's, yeah, St. Nick, so fun times. Thanks for coffee hour. I don't know, they're probably still in there, but that was a good, good go at it again. We're going to take a look at, I guess, the aftermath of the flood today. So we're, if you're new here, you want to check, check things out. What's going on is a little study of Genesis. Last time, maybe you can help me out here. Where exactly did we leave off? I think it was right around. Yeah, okay, so the, there you go. <laughs> Pastor says, I have no idea. I'm somewhere in eight. I'll just kind of pick it up in eight. And... I know we didn't get to ravens or doves or anything. Great, we can do that. Uh, let's see. So, um, why don't we, I'll do, I think, some flyover country of, of eight, and then I want to take a special uh, focus on the drunkenness of Noah, kind of an odd, like, after everything's done, what is he doing? Noah's planting a vineyard, and he gets, he gets a little blitzed. So, let's, um, let's do that. I'll, I'll, uh, I'd be happy to focus anywhere you want, uh, in between there also. But let's, um, so let's plan for that, and, and before we do so, let's say a quick uh, a prayer here. Let us pray. Stir up our hearts, O Lord, to make ready the way of your only begotten Son, that by his coming we may be enabled to serve you with pure minds. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay, so the ark... We talked about last week, we heard what the ark is a, it's a weird term, it's a fascinating term, it's only used elsewhere in Exodus for the little thing that, that they place Noah, baby Noah, baby Moses gets the same thing that, that Noah does, uh, they put Moses into, a, into an ark, and I think they, they cut it right there to say, that is the life of the, this is your safe haven in the midst of everyone's dying around you. Moses, and uh, let this be the kind of signal for successive generations to come that your safe haven in the realm of Pharaoh and Egypt and Babylon and Assyria and whatever it is, of course Moses had his, his Pharaoh, we're going to hear about Herod at the time of our Lord and so on, whatever it is, whatever the death surrounding you, go to the ark. And so they put baby Moses in the ark, and from there on out, this is always where your safe place is. Um, safe, don't we have safe zones right now or neutral zones or whatever the safe spaces the biblical safe space is the ark um, yeah it's terrible so anyway um, the flood subsides Eight, I love how this kind of ends we talked about um, we talked about sort of the we got into this aftermath a little bit um, so let me just do kind of a quick go of chapter 8 here I love the language that's used in early Genesis because it's so evocative of things that will happen later on in the Bible. So, for example, how does this flood stop? God makes a bit, you see a verse one there, God makes a wind blow. All right, now you could do this a few different ways, but what does that bring to mind? This is the Exodus, right? When you bring a wind in and the, oh, that's what causes the whole the plagues, east wind brings in this plague, the east wind blows this Red Sea so that you can, why use a wind to stop this flood? This is a, 
we're going to build on this. And so when you get to the Exodus, you think, oh, okay, the Exodus and the flood and the ark and these things, this is scripture interpreting scripture at its finest. It's in the Bible. It's not a Lutheran thing. It's a Bible thing. And you're going to see a lot of these kind of echoes or phrases throughout um, early Genesis. We talked about this a little bit with Abel's offering up fat portions. How does he know what that is? That's, that's the book of Leviticus and so on. All these cues to, wait a minute, these guys know more than we think they do. Um, here God makes this wind blow. The fountains of the deep windows were closed. The waters receded. Um, seventh month, 17th day. Of the month. Now, does it really matter when this happened, right? But they give you the month. They give you the day. Always a big, di- very huge things are happening in the Bible when you get year, month, and day. Uh, like Babylon captivity, restoration period. These are huge things. And you'll learn as you go through. These are, this is just great. The ark is like throughout this tabernacle, temple, the dimensions. It sounds like the church. And then what? It comes to rest in uh, the seventh month, right when the history of Israel will be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, the booze. Uh, It brings to mind your dwelling place. This is your dwelling place. God makes it to rest. I love this language. The verb to rest is nuach. The noun is Noah, and again, you have to get a little phlegm there or it doesn't count. Um, he causes to rest. So this is the, he, when he planted Eden, God causes to Noah, he causes to rest humanity, Adam, in there. This is your resting place. This I'm putting you in Eden. Same deal here. Uh, the ark is Noah. It's caused to rest here on this mountain in a time of booze, tabernacles, dwelling place, okay? It's the safe haven. These mountains of Ararat, reminds me like Revelation, we always get mountains. The people of God are on the safe. On that mountain, I'll prepare a a great feast, aged wine, well-refined, Isaiah 25, big stuff. Um, So now it's harvest time. I just love the language of the months because it continued until the 10th. Who cares? Well, when you see later in the Bible, 7, 8, 9, 10, this is the harvest time. This is the time of the year where, and it's, we're not just talking corn and, you know, barley and so on. This is, we're in harvest season. The church is established. No matter how bad the, what, is that the gates of hell are out there, this is the harvest time, 7, 8, 9, 10 month. And we're going to see this with, this with these birds. I think this is totally how this, this bird thing goes. So the raven is first. Why? Because we're near Baltimore. And No, I'm just kidding. But at the end of 40 days, he opens up this window, which, again, the, you read Ezekiel on the third temple that's loaded with windows. Uh, this is all temple at the side. I think we talked about that last time. Side of the ark. Side of the ark. It has windows. It has dimensions. This is all church. He sends first this dirty, unclean raven, which you can't, I mean, you can't not know. This is a, multiple times. This is an unclean bird. It doesn't get much attention, does it? He sends forth. He sends. There's a lot of sending in this. The verb, the apostolic word to send is immediately after the church is established. On the high mountains, on the high ground, it's a harvest time. Okay, so he sends out. This is a very repeated, obvious 
Same for, uh, the word apostle means the sent one. So the apostle is a raven first, unclean bird. Don't hear much about it, right? Look at that. It goes forth, a raven, went to and fro, and that's, that's all, that's it. Nevermore. <laughs> Sorry. That's, somebody, we got to. Um, you get a lot more attention on the clean bird on the dove, right? And now the dove we know a little bit better. Dove is used quite a bit in the Bible. Well, of course, the baptism of our Lord. Holy Spirit, right, of all the ways to, why are you taking on the form of a dove, bodily, Luke writes. The dove, of course, is used quite a bit for, what, for Israel? Song of songs, you're my dove, my beloved, my perfect one, my dove, God's people Israel. Um, the Holy Spirit going forth, now just, I will take a look at this. So the dove goes forth, he sends forth this dove this is the clean animal so the first is the unclean maybe that's the alien work before the proper work he sends the clean dove um, and uh, there's several rounds of this right the first one just to see if anything had happened the dove finds no place to set her foot which is the kind of language that'll happen if you Turn away from God. In the curses section of Deuteronomy, you're going to lose the promised land. You're going to have no place to find to dwell. I'll uproot you. You'll lose the. You'll lose. Now you could just say, "Well, then don't do this anymore." That the dove had a tough go, and yet what does Moses do? Uh, or sorry, Moses. Look at this. Noah um, returns to him. He puts out his hand. This language is all just so redolent of other places in the Bible. He takes out, it stretches out his hand. Okay, this is loaded throughout Exodus and so on. Our Lord stretching out his hand. He stretches out his hand, uh, takes it, and brings it back into the ark. Waits, what? One week. Seven days. Send it out again. Week by week. Send it out again. Send it out again, week by week. Right? Here's the dove. Again, think Holy Spirit. Send it out again. Send it out again. All the apostle terms. Sends it out. Sends it out from the ark, always grounded in a particular location. And then what? We finally have some fruits of the, should I say, spirit. Um, an olive leaf meaning that the stuff of the promised land is this is like the fruits of the the fruits of the heart we're in harvest time here's this dove bringing back the kind of stuff um, of the promised land i'll have more to say about this soon um, and then noah sends it out again this is kind of this is like new creation stuff the flood is over We've got a new harvest, um, and by the time you get to uh, waiting another seven days, the dove goes where it goes, okay? Um, let me, just a few more remarks, and then I'll open it up here. Um, the the uh, timing of verse 13, you see again all the emphasis on this. Noah removes the covering of the ark. Again, this is all tabernacle language. The tabernacle has a covering, goatskins, tanned ramskins. This is all tabernacle. Nobody would have heard it any other way. This is the church. He removes the covering 
And yeah, that word too, he sees, he sees now the face of the ground is dry and uh, we're in Pentecost time. Okay, now we're in the spring. This is like, this is the, the Feast of Weeks. This is, Pen- this is Acts 2 now. Go out from the ark. We got a worldwide harvest now. You, your, your wife, this is actually the only time that the wife is mentioned after Noah. Everybody has a big problem. Big problem about how Noah's sons are always mentioned before his wife. And the point is that the office of the ministry carries on. Noah, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. The point is that the office is always in existence throughout this. Noah and his sons. And so is the church. Wife, sons, wives. Uh, You'll see this even more when, like you get to chapter 9, he blessed Noah and his sons. (laughs) Oh, where are the women? You know, um... But this is how the narrative emphasized it. Luther was big on, where is the office? Always in Genesis, where is the office? And this is how it speaks of this. Um, And then they go out. He goes out, his sons, his wife, his sons' wives with him. Every beast, creeping thing, every bird that moves on. This is a really quick flyover. Questions, comments on just kind of how this aftermath goes before we get into chapter 9. Just kind of spitballing here, I guess. Yeah, go ahead. Thanks. Yeah, 13 and, is it 13 and 14? Yeah. It's a good question. 13, he sees that the face, yeah, the, the surface we put in English, face of the ground, 14 is what had dried up the land. Why so much emphasis on this, the way that it dried up? It's a good question face of the ground was dry, dried up from off the earth. I don't know. You're going to get a lot of emphasis on the dry ground in the, in the Exodus, of course. Now, some of this language is picked up. They'll set that, sim, that similar terminology. So my only guess there, my hunch would be that this brings, just as the, uh, what, the wind that's used to blow the water and so on, just as all that kind of, this is Exodus stuff, the psalmist sing of it, the prophets preach of it, that there's dry land on the, right, the dry land, the complete dust of the ground. We went over on dry land. All that language will be used for the Exodus. That might be what's going on there. It's a good question. Um, in verse 20, you will see something of the heart strings of God. Verse 20 and 21 I use that language intentionally because this is, now remember, you have to think back. Um, Let me just run through it real quick. 20 and 21, what happens? So Noah, this is a huge moment for a lot of reasons. Noah builds, this is the first altar in the Bible that we have reference to this. Noah builds an altar. Now Noah is a builder, isn't he? (laughs) He builds that ark. He also builds... He's also the high priest. That's the thing. We have a church, but we also have the ministry. And he builds, God built Eve, the word there from the side. That building process, you might say, is 
carrying on with Noah when he builds an altar. Notice it's repeated. You don't need to repeat altar twice. It's in there twice. First time you hear of an altar in the Old Testament, he builds this altar. So we have church, we have divine service. He builds, then he takes from some of this clean stuff. These are the sacrifices. This is the the orders, the rites of the divine service. Burn offerings against all Leviticus stuff. How does he know how to do this? Um, I think somebody asked about that. How do they all? How do these peeps know all this? He offers up burnt offerings on the altar, and then the Lord. This is all Leviticus. So this is the book of Leviticus. The Lord. Um, it's similar to the word for spirit, which can mean breath, but this means like opening up your nostrils <laughs> for breathing. The Lord. Can the Lord smell? Does he have a nose? The Lord smells a smell of, of, uh, of quieting, soothing, restful, noahic smell. It calms them down. The Lord is calmed down and quieted like a little infant. Nice timing. You've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. That's what's happening to the Lord when he has this sacrifice. Not because you would call it sweet smell. I mean, he has smelled burning fat portions and burning hair and burning. That's the most disgusting. It's not about, it, it's a sweet smelling. It's the smell of, of being on good terms with me, of forgiveness, life, and salvation. That's an ugly looking smell. All throughout Leviticus, it, it calms them down. It calms the Lord down. It gives him Noah uh, when that kind of thing happens. He says to his heart, the reason I bring this up, this is all the beginning all over of the flood. What happened in the beginning? It was what? He sees in his, in his heart the Lord was sorry, it, it busted him, it grieved him, it pained him with the pain of the curse to his heart. Uh, he was actually getting a taste of, of the curse that he, that he, that he pushed on, on all of creation. It pained him, it tore him up, heart tearing to the Lord. Now he says to his heart, I'll never again do this curse, the, the Adam, the, the, gra- the man, the ground. Um, because why? The form... Of his heart, uh, evil from his youth. That was the whole reason he sent the flood in the first place. Why the flood? Well, you see how terrible evil the thoughts and intentions of humanity from his only evil all the time. That's the whole reason he sent the flood. And now what? You know, I should take away this flood and never do it again. Why? Because mankind's pretty evil. Now, what are you learning about the Lord by, man, this is terrible. Only evil all the time I got to send a flood. I should never do that again because they're only evil all the time. All the same language of how it all started, the reason it all started. kind of a big moment in Genesis 
you'll see this fleshed out later on in the Bible. You get a lot of this. God has wrath. And he pours it out. And then he has these moments of I got to do something about this. I got to have mercy. Why? For the same reason that I poured out my wrath. Well, which one triumphed over the other? Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But he will by no means clear the guilty. But man, is he gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will by no means clear the guilty. By no means he will clear the guilty. But he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is this kind of, I will, I will by no means clear the guilty, but at the same time, my, my mercy is going to triumph over my wrath here when it comes to this flood. Now that's just, when you hear the name of the Lord, it's going to be basically that. Just show me your name, and it is that very thing. I'm going to, I'm a just God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and children, you know. But showing mercy. <laughs> Uh, because they're only evil all the time. A lot of this in Hosea. Yahweh is the head of the household in Hosea, and he just can't. Argh! You know, it's, and then it's, is Ephraim my dear son? How can I? Ah, I got to relent of this disaster. He's my boy. You know, this kind of thing. Do you know what that's like? <laughs> um, okay. Should we jump into to nine here? Any question? Anybody thoughts, questions on that? Before we go into nine, we got to talk about this Noah incident. Yeah, go ahead, Dr. Link. We've got to think about this in our long gospel class of the immeasurable character of God's wrath. And the the flood also seems like that. Yeah. Where the experience of the world, the experience for Noah is quite different, uh, obviously, than, than those who were destroyed in the flood. But it's not as if you're measuring out, like, who has deserved what against. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so, like, well, Noah didn't deserve it, and so therefore he spared. But these other people did. Mm -hmm. That there's this sense of the deluge that it's, it's disproportionate even to the evil in the world, so not only uh, even that comment, man is evil. Yeah. Therefore, I'll wipe out all the creatures. Yeah, that's right. So there's this there's this complete disproportionate way in which the wrath of God is poured out. Yeah, that's that right. It's not some sort of measuring line. Well, because you know I said this bad thing about this person, now God's going to slap me on the wrist, or he'll always a one to one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As if it were correlated, and I think you see this really vividly. Yeah. Um, uh, and I appreciate very much how you're framing this within the ecclesial structure, the, the worship life of life of Israel. But it just makes you recognize how very little control any of us have over this. Yeah. So God's wrath as it yeah. as it's burning against uh, against the world, you don't get this. Oh wait, let me just. Yeah, yeah, right. It's only, it's only what God then does as He relents, as He. Right. Establishes so this is almost this ongoing working of God, and uh, and we're just experiencing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's the it brings to mind the the exile. You know, the, how do you process all that? And was everyone equally guilty of 
abominations at the time of you know, Josiah and all these kings and where it all went downhill. People are losing their lives. Why these people, you know, people are losing their land. Why these people? And, and yeah, he's, he sends them all into exile and then I got to restore them, you know? And so, yeah, there's something very, um, yeah, they, they complained about it even, right? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the til- children's teeth are set on edge. Like, we didn't do that. that was, we're, in, we're in Babylon because of my Uncle Joe, you know, that kind of thing. But, the, but, the but then the word would come and say, you know. Right, and all that's left is, is waiting on the Lord's mercy. Yeah, right. Um, Samuel, too, the word of the Lord is rare in those days, you know, or when our Lord does miracles and the people don't want anything to do with it, he, he, Mark 6 and whatever, he's angry and moves along. And, well, what about, you know, aren't there others in there that are on your side? Or There are all sorts of moments where it's, I will by no means clear the guilty, and yet I'm, I'm gracious and merciful, and, you know, we commend it to his, to his good and gracious will. So, yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, even with the, the planting of the vineyard, we've got to get here soon, but this, with Noah, why did he plant a vineyard, and why did he get, hammered I mean some, one of the popular views was just he has not he, he could not process all the, all of his neighbors died all of his poker playing buddies died he was the most depressed man on the planet you know this kind of did it all make sense to him the flood I mean, last week pastor talked about the carnage and you got the CPH 1917 thing up there I, you know that's that's intense Noah's still flesh and blood God told him that it all makes sense. Even, the, even my nice, what about my nice neighbor? Her too, you know? I will blot out everything. What about, you know, Agnes next door? She's great. I'll blot out everything. Um, okay, be fruitful, multiply. Let's, uh, this is where you get the fact that the image is still up and running. We have to grant this, you know, don't shed blood. God made him in his own image. Be fruitful, multiply. This all sounds like Genesis 1 again. Be fruitful, multiply, be fruitful. This is a new kind of, we got a new era, a new, Luther would say, a new stem to the church, a new kind of, uh, a new creation. The rainbow and the clouds, we know this. I love the language of in the cloud because it's, it's more Exodus stuff. All this is Exodus. The rainbow is where? It's in the cloud. It's always in the cloud. Hey, in that storm cloud, in that. <laughs> what do you need for rain? Or why do you? Why the rainbow of all the signs? We talked it, even in the sermon, right? Signs. The bow in the cloud is described as a sign. So God establishes a covenant. That's worth thinking about. Also, that He adds a sign is worth thinking about. Why would you even add a sign? A physical, tangible, I mean, what do you need for rain? Don't you need light? Don't you need water? And, you know, all these things. We're the scientists. And, but he, he wants a sign attached to his promise, something you can look at, see, taste, smell. Okay, we're going to, obviously, we have these sacraments. It's in the, it's in the cloud. There's more reference to cloud than there is to rainbow. More about the cloud than there is about the rainbow. And that's because, right, who's in, the, who's in the cloud? Pillar of cloud. It's Yahweh himself who takes, who 
stands and he stood in the cloud and he met with us and he talked with us he was always in the cloud and he led us around he was always in the cloud <laughs> right um it's him it's him it's him that's the best sign it's me i'm the light of the world pillar of light pillar of cloud the light no cloud can overcome it's me i'm i'm it Okay, so we have this with the rain, but Revelation picks up on this a lot. You, you heard me on Revelation last time, so I'll just leave it there. Okay. Let's talk the aftermath. Genealogies are huge, but they're much more than just Ancestry.com. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, also known as Shem, Ham, not Turkey, and Yepheth. Okay, Ham is the father of Cain, and already we're doing something very, very different if you do that. Ham is the father of Cain, and you're saying, Cain and the, uh, we know, okay, Canaan, wait a minute, Canaan's later. Ham's the father of Canaan. Are we even there yet? You got to know Ham's the father of Cain. This is a genealogy, it's bracketed, the whole thing is bracketed by this, we got sons of Noah and 18s and sons of Noah or Noah's life, I guess you could say 28, 29, the whole thing. We're doing something different than a standard genealogy. Something is going on here. Verse 19, these three sons of Noah uh, are the sons of Noah, and from these, a lot of emphasis on these particular three, are dispersed all the earth. There's something that you're about to hear about this, these three that is... I want to say typical, but that we usually, when we have typical, we think common. I should say typical. It's kind of like a Dr. Schultz thing to do. He says Christian. You know, he wants you to know Christian comes from Christian, Christian ethics. There is something that's typical throughout humanity, dispersed all the peeps of the earth. Something typical. You're going to see something about all of humanity in the behavior and what's to follow in these three sons. Okay, Noah's the high priest. Noah is, he's everybody's favorite pastor. (laughs) Okay. He begins to be a man of the ground and he plants a vineyard. What are you learning about him? He's a man of the ground. He plants a vineyard. Go ahead. That's right. And it just seems like a contrast to that. Like. Noah found favor. He has uh, Zadik, righteous, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So, I don't know, like, it seems to be kind of like he's, like he's planting something. He's, like, he's putting up roots and stuff. He's not, like, like we talked about in previous chapters, how, like, they'd all lived in tents and been temporary. Like, we have some tent talk here, too. Yeah, yeah tent so talk. Like, So he's working the ground. When, when you hear work the ground, what comes to mind? Maybe we could start to do that, right? What comes to mind? Work the ground. We're back in Eden, we're back in Eden again, right? So he's working the ground. This all sounds from. Oh, by the way, we're going to have nakedness, right? Well, let's just kind of run through this, right? You know, we're going to have nakedness. 
We're going to have work in the ground. We're going to have a covering. You need garments of skin back there. Well, we're going to need another garment. You know, it's kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? We're going to have a curse. You know, curse would be the, we're going to get to that. There's a curse in Eden, this whole, whoa, we're doing Eden all over again. But of course, it's going to have a different flavor to it. So Noah is working the ground like good old school Adam. He plants a vineyard. Again, I kind of reference one, I mean, well, if you plant a vineyard, you have some booze, and then does that lessen the pain and all this sort of stuff? Why else would you plant a vineyard, do you think? I mean, that's kind of the... Does it sound familiar? Ring any bells to you? Planting a vineyard? I don't know, this is pressing our... Plus in the OT, the OT land a little bit. Go ahead. Lots of vineyard talk. Yeah, lots of vineyard talk. So for Israel, Isaiah 5. Israel's my vineyard, I planted. Of course, we have parables all over the place about vineyards mm-hmm. being planted. But it's planted. almost as if that's, that's God's own way of talking about his people. Yeah, yeah. The planting of the vineyard, huge in the prophets for the people of Israel. They're my vineyard, I planted them. Okay. Now, it's also, it's kind of a two-sided thing. The people of Israel also plant vineyards. Reference in the prophets. Why? Because they're, that's the stuff of the promised land. When you get Shema Israel, hero Israel, and and I'm going to bring you into a land, cisterns you did not dig, houses you did not fill, olive trees you didn't plant, vineyards you didn't plant, like everything, the promised land is loaded with, you're going to have you're my vineyard, you're my, my people, Isaiah 5 and Amos and so on. But also you, this is huge for the promised land. This is like, this is promised land stuff. And so some have said, oh, Noah's going back to Eden. I think one way to put it would be Noah is, yeah, is he, is he looking for Eden? Is he looking for, is he trying to have something of a promised land here? He's planting a vineyard, the stuff of the promised land. And what happens? Even the good stuff, he can't even really handle. I mean, that's, that's, and that's totally the sinful condition. This is like Eden all over again, only it's perverted and twisted because it's, wine elsewhere is a fine thing in the scriptures, you know, wine to gladden the heart of men. But look, he drank of the wine and he becomes drunk. We can't even handle any, any lays, he becomes uncovered in the midst of his tent. Um, we can't even handle the good things of this creation. We'll, we'll abuse it. I mean, the bad stuff's going to be bad, but even the good stuff, we're going to, oh, we'll overuse it. You know, food's a good thing. Well, we'll eat too much. You know, wine, that's a great, it gladdens the heart. Oh, we're going to get, we're going to get hammered. You know, um, money can be used for that. Oh, we're going to want too much. You know, this is the thing of, we can't even handle the good stuff. It's too much for us. It's too much, right? And so Noah is in, his, in the midst of his tent. Now this, I think, is just a big detail. Now who cares? He got drunk in the midst of the open square, Maryland Avenue or whatever. He's out there. Who cares that he's in his tent? Right? And you brought that, Michelle, I think you brought this up right with the tent. This, okay, the tent, right? Just keep this in mind, the tent, because this is a huge for God's people of faith in Genesis. They're always dwelling in tents. He's uncovered. He's naked. We're back into the realm of Eden, but he is in the midst of his tent. Okay? 
in Eden, we were in the midst of Eden. Um, the tree of life was in the middle of Eden. He's now in the middle of his tent. Now what happens? Ham sees already just the fact that we're seeing we're bad. Whoa, 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 whoa. In Eden, what was the sight thing? We're talking about what God said. Did, do, should we eat? Should we not? And then it's, she stops the conversation and she sees that it looks good. Right? Sight before hearing and word is always a big, oh my. Noah, or Ham does what? Ham, the father of Canaan, we already told you, but here you got to know this again. Um, sees the nakedness of his father and he does what? He declares it to his two brothers on the outside. Okay? So we're talking about a, something that's an intent matter. You might say in-house, but I'd say intent matter. Okay? He's in his tent. The text wants you to know that. Ham declares it to the outside. This is how, so there's a nakedness issue. We had it in Eden. Now there's another, we're doing this whole thing again. Well, I got that whole nakedness again. Two different ways to deal with the nakedness in a post-Eden world. Post-fallen, post-flood, I should say that, post-flood world. One is declare it to the outside. Use it for what? Well, Luther would say his own selfish purposes. We've got sin, we've got nakedness, we've got exposure, we've got vulnerability. Uh, maybe you can profit off of that. Maybe you could, you could tell others about somebody's vulnerability. Hey, so did you chase after the promised land? Did you try to create your own promised land? Whatever you're chasing after, it's going to fall, it's going to come up short, and you will be exposed. You will be exposed. All right? So... What do you do when you see someone chasing after this earthly promised land, whatever pursuit it is, and they're totally exposed? What do you do with that? Ham declares it. You got to know this, guys. Can't wait to tell you about this one. Can you believe it? I got more people to tell. See you later. Okay? Shem... I am fascinated by verse 23. It's a singular verb. Shem takes. And then it says, and Yefeth. Love it. It's not, you could just say they took. It doesn't say they took. It says he took. Shem takes. I'll, talk, I'll, I'll reference this later. Shem takes, and then and Yefeth. So it's both of them. But okay, so what's up with Shem? He's mentioned first. Sounds important. Shem takes and Yefeth, so Shem and Yefeth take a, a mantle, a covering, a garment. And they set it upon the sh their shoulders of both of them. They're both going to shoulder this garment. Okay, and they're going to walk. Big word in Genesis. They're going to walk, uh, pun intended, not by sight. We walk by, how's it go? We walk by faith and not by sight. They're going to walk backwards. Right? They're going to walk backwards. They're both going to shoulder. So you got one approach, declare it to the outside. Use it for your purposes. People are exposed when they chase after failed promised lands. The other approach would be what? 
shoulder this garment, walk back, cover it up, uh, cover, blessed is the one whose nakedness is covered, whose transgression has been removed, just to kind of pick up on some of the Psalms you know so well. Uh, cover the nakedness, cover the exposure, cover it up with this, not just platitudes, not try harder, cover it with the garment, and their faces were also backwards, hide your face from my nakedness. Uh, and the nakedness of their father, they did not, they did not see. Okay? Does this sound like the Psalms all over again? Hide your face from my sins. Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. Right? So, on the one hand, you do this. Declare it like Ham does. You can benefit from it. You didn't like your dad anyway, did you, Ham? And that, that was Noah's big, or uh, sorry, Luther's big on Ham just... Ham wanted to be the priest. <laughs> he was a much he thought he was a better preacher than Noah and, you know. Or you can shoulder what you have to shoulder to bring a garment to the situation. Not your cash and not your niceties, but the garment. Bring the garment to the nakedness. Uh Noah wakes up, the sound like Adam, what in the world, my rib? Noah wakes up from his wine and he knows what his, and he knows what his, what, his smallest son, he doesn't even name him, do you see that? He doesn't even get a name. Luther says that's because the Holy Spirit hates him by now. <laughs> Luther, easy. Um, but, he knew what his youngest son, that's going to tear him up. This is the effect. This is like, this is what? These are shots against the church. These are shots against the clergy. These are shots against brothers and sisters in Christ. It tears them up. They know this. He knows what has been said, what has been, I mean, what? how does he know? Um, and he says, cursed be Cain and servant of servants may be to his brothers. Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be a servant to him. And then there's a play on words here. Yefeth means to enlarge or make wide. So it's Yafeth, God, may God Yefeth Yefeth. May he enlarge or make wide Yefeth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, he's going to have more than one tent, and let Canaan be a servant. A few things. What it strikes you about this? One is, who gets the blessing? The Lord, technically, right? Shem is mentioned first. Now, we'll know this, that Shem is what? Shem means name, shame, shame means name, Shem. Um, the promised one is going to come through Shem. And yet, what happens? We also have this third guy, Yefeth. Let him dwell in the tents of Shem. Now, why can't Shem dwell in the tents of Yefeth, right? You get the sense that both are in a good place, and yet one of them is quite different than the other. One's dwelling in the tents of the, 
Now, Luther says this is classic of, of how the church, this is just, these are the only three options for humanity, really, from now until the end of the world. What is it? One, this is all, you know what this is? This is proper subject matter of theology. What's the proper subject matter of theology? Anybody wearing a clerical, clerical preaching, what do they do? Luther says, God, what, what are you talking about? What's at the center? God as Sorry, man is sinner, God is justifier of sinful man. Everything discussed outside of that is error and poison. Okay, so the business is sin. Sin and forgiveness. That's at the heart and center of this post-flood, post-Eden kind of thing. Two very different approaches. Everybody's going to have to deal with sin. One way is what? Use it for your advantage. Prey on the weakness and vulnerability of another. The other is what? Bring the garment to the situation. Shoulder what you have to shoulder. Bring the garment to the situation. Two very different ways. Now, Yefeth does what? Shem takes the initiative. The promises come through Shem, but Yefeth gets in on it. Yefeth is convinced that's the way to go. That's how you deal with the proper subject matter of theology. That's forgiveness. That's what it looks like. It's not about us. It's not about the money and the niceties and all that. It's about the garment. I'm in with, I'm with you. And this is when Luther says, that's exactly what the Gentiles do. <laughs> Salvation is from the Jews. And yet, here are these people being grafted in. Here are these people being grafted into the whole... See, it, wasn't, it wasn't about you, Yefeth. But he's convinced, this is, the way, this is Egypt. The Egyptians who are like, I think he's on to... No, that's the true God. I'm out of here. Never did like you, Pharaoh. Um, this is Yefeth. May the Lord enlarge this ingathering, ones that you might say be grafted into that olive tree. Um, this is the history of the church. We have that line, we have those grafted in, and we have those who want nothing to do with it. So all three, there's no fourth option in that, there's no neutral zone. Um, these three sons. That's, again, that's, the genealogy is much more than just, hey, did he have any other daughters or anything? The genealogy is one of, how do you relate to the one to come from Shem? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so you've been mentioning again and again that this is all Exodus being not read back into, but, but certainly this is the reason why Genesis is written in this particular way too. Yeah. It's establishing Israel's entire life so that yeah. history of prints on them. Yeah, right. The life that they are to live before God. Right. Um, and so, of course, just the history here is so critical for yes. understanding what Israel is about to do as they enter into the promise. What's Ca yeah, what is Canaan? Exactly. Wait a minute. So <laughs> That's not until Joshua. It's you know? important aspect yeah. of the history. Yeah. Uh, these are the enemies of God. Yeah, that's right. So you should be you should be entering into the promised land with uh, with, with kind of a godlike anger. Yeah. To know that these are the people who have what, set themselves up. What is a true Canaanite? What is most definitional of a what's the hands of father of Canaan, father of Canaan, father the the Canaan the true Canaanite is the one who who takes shots at the church. You know, those clergies are a bunch, they're, they're clergy are a bunch of sinners too. Do you know that? Christians, 
they don't, you know, they don't behave well. The, the Canaanite is the, is the ham approach. Use the sin, use the vulnerability. That's for your own purposes. Um, because we know this, that it, it, that's why I love it in a genealogy because it says this is, there's much more to a Canaanite than just the ethnicity, biological answer. No, no, no. Canaanite is how you deal with God's people. Because Rahab, for example, is a Canaanite prostitute. She's no longer a Canaanite. I mean, she's not a, she's the part of the bride, pure, washed, spotless, you know, bride of Christ. No, she's a Canaanite prostitute. She's not a true Canaanite. A true Canaanite does this. Rahab is not, it's much more than just the ethnicity thing. It's, yeah, so you, you read this and you see Cain and it's like, this is a, there's a, much, there's a much bigger thing than going on than just, God doesn't like this one ethnic people and he really likes this one. You know, even electing Israel, is, it wasn't about the nation Israel the whole time. Abe's elected and it's for the sake of all the families of the whole planet, you know, the everybody, families of the earth. It, it, so it really presses you to think about a Canaanite is not just a, just the biological, ethnic, you know, it's not, oh, God likes some, hates others. It's a Canaanite here is, this is the enemy of the, of the promises of God through Shem. How you're going to, how you're going to deal with sin. I mean, that's the issue. Everybody's going to have to deal, nobody just abstains from the situation. There's no neutral ground here. There are only two ways to deal with sin. There's the Canaanite way. And then there's the godly way. And, um, and that's why you have this, I think, in such a foundation. What I love about, just real quick, and then we should probably go, but that's, Yefeth is mentioned, I love it. He's like the, Shem grabs the thing, and Yefeth gets in on it. And then what, when you read genealogies, where's Yefeth? Yefeth is first. In Table of Nations, we get, we get Yefeth first before we get and you go to Chronicles, who's first? Yefeth. The last will be first. I love that. I love the genealogies when they're like, put Yefeth first. And hey, we burnt, hey, he wasn't, he's an 11th hour worker. He doesn't deserve, make him first. Make him first. He just got in on this. This was Shem's idea. Make him first. I just, I think that's brilliant. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, then we'll wrap it up. Uh, yeah, yeah. He loses his identity. I mean, that's the other thing too. Is where's your identity? What's most central to your forgiven one? You have the garment. You're a forgiven one. You have the garment. Does this sound baptismal? That's at the the most central to who you are. If you don't want that, you've you will lose yourself to some pseudo-identity that's, yeah, he's, he doesn't even get, you lose your name. So there's something, Luther's intense when he says uh, he's not named because the Holy Spirit at this point hates him. But it's, I mean, there's a, re, yeah, don't even, he's gone. Blot it out. Let the name be blotted out. That's the effect. I'll deal with sin, I'm, I'm going to use sin, and I'm going to deal with it on my own terms. You'll lose yourself. You're done. You know, your, your identity's gone. Oh my, should we wrap it up? Any other closing arguments? Tomatoes, anything? Okay. Uh, let's end with the benediction. Lord bless us, defend us from evil, and bring us safely to everlasting life. Amen.